Good morning, Don. Good morning. It has been a long time. It sure has. Can you believe it? I can't. I can't. I almost wondered, will we ever do this again? Is it? Is it right. gone? Right. But I have, honestly, I've been listening to some things. I've been listening to some podcasts that reignited my fury over <laughs> the voices on the public square that are representing Christ followers. Uh-huh. And it's so upsetting to me. And then when you hear secular folks talk about Christians as if they're all in this one bucket, uh-huh. and it doesn't even begin to represent the scope of people that are Christians, uh-huh. even in our country, let alone globally. Mm-hmm. And they get all the media space, and it really upsets me. Mm-hmm. So that that was one part of it. And also, I just miss doing it. Uh-huh. Even though I have a lot of responsibility at church, and my, right. I have a voice at church, it's really different because I very much come under the authority of that space. And so I do, I'm learning and I do what they ask me and I am still me and I'm saying the things that matter to me, uh-huh. but it is contained, uh-huh. you know, <laughs> very contained compared to this. And so I was just hungry for it. Yeah. I um, was listening back over some like past episodes and when you and I had reconvened after quarantine and, you know, like lockdown and everything. And uh, we were talking about why are we doing this podcast, right? And so that was really the episode that was interesting to me because I feel like so much has changed even in just this this year, you know. So 2021, now here we are 2022. And I feel like, wow, my life is really different. But some of the same reasons that we said in 2021 are still true. And one of them that, that you said specifically was, you know, I do this for me. I have these other reasons, but I do this for me, you know, for this outlet, for this space to be able to explore, to say things that are maybe unacceptable in other cir- circles, to inquire, you know, all those things. So that's still true. And um, when you called me or you left a Marco Polo, you know, and you were talking about listening and to, uh, you know, a podcast and be like, I just feel like I need to do this again, you know, so if you're up for it, let's get together. And in my head, I was like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) But I felt, you know, that thing that you feel like in your gut or your heart, like lean forward just a little. It was really just a little. I felt that, you know, and so like, okay, I need to listen to that. And has nothing to do with you, you know, like our friendship is all good and everything. It's, I'm in a different space now. And I was, I was thinking about it for many weeks before I left that Marco Polo. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't, I know you're in a different season and uh-huh. a different space. And I didn't, part of me just didn't think you would be interested anymore. Mm-hmm. And we'd always said, we're not going to do it unless it's fun and we want to. Right. And then I thought, well, I'm just going to put it out there. I trust Dawn to know if she wants to do it or not. Yeah. And I know that she'll say no if it's not something she really wants to do. Yep. And I thought we could at least start with, tell tell me about the season you're in. We've kind of like, in a way, chosen different directions right. for this response to this moment in time. Yep, yep. Right? And I just thought, well, maybe Don would want to talk about that because that's something we don't get to talk about a lot in our social life because right. it's too big of a thing to bring up over lunch with friends. Yeah, it's true. And so we are using Richard Rohr's book, Falling Upward, as a bit of a framing device for this conversation. 
only because I want to. (laughs) And I've been reading this book. I read it all the way through maybe six months ago, and I just loved it. It's like every word is underlined. So many dog ears. I just ate it up. I just loved it. This was one for me that I just think everyone should read, especially if you're getting past like 40. Yeah. (laughs) Or way past. (laughs) And so to me, it was really life-giving. And when I was thinking about this conversation, I kept thinking about the book. Uh-huh. And so it just felt like almost, you know, to be corny, like a God thing, like sure, this book no, really yeah. fits. Yeah. And this book expresses a lot of why I still love church and find it so meaningful uh-huh. in a way that I might not be able to articulate having simple conversation about it. Uh-huh. So that is a book we are, I at least I'm going to refer to. I know you've read a good part of it. I have. Yeah, I had. I think you recommended it to me. And then my brother-in-law actually brought it over for me, like within a short span of time all right and I love Richard Rohr you know so I was all for it it has not grabbed me so much it's been a bit of a slog to get through and I told you you know last week when we set up this appointment I'll try to get to the end and I don't feel like it's a book that that I can rush Uh, so I just decided I wasn't going to try for that and I'll speak to the pieces that I have read so I'm about halfway So do you want to give an update about where you're at with church and your, uh, I don't know if you want me to start with one of my questions or if you want to just, we should give updates. Yeah, I guess I can give a little bit of a story. Yeah, a little bit of an update. So in 2021, this is a year after, you know, we moved to our new home in Providence. It still feels like a new home and a new place. I chose not to go back to the church that I had been part of prior to quarantine. And I resigned from all of my, you know, ministry duties at that time. And with everything that I was taking in, I was doing like a, an anti-racism cohort for white people, you know, class. And then I, let's see, last year did like, um, Matthew Vines has a course for inclusion uh, for gay people in the church. And so I did that course and different things that I was reading and different things that I was at least paying more attention to than I have in the past on the news. Anyway, all of that, what I was doing for church, like to use that word, I was going to a nursery like every week, like with plants, you know, and that was my church. Like my daughters or whomever would go with me, sometimes Doug even, and we would have coffee and I would bring whatever book I was reading and we would sit and have conversations, like the kind of conversations I like to have, you know, about more than just like, you know, what do you have going on this week? Like, how are you doing? You know, and what do you think about? And and that was, if I had to name a place, like a church, that was my church. And I've heard other people say things like that, you know, like, oh, when I'm out in the woods, you know, that's my church. And I get that. I certainly get that. And I get it even more now because I've chosen not to go back. And it's very strange it's so strange. I've written about it and journaled about it. I've, you know, talked to my family ad nauseum about it. And I'm, I'm cautious about what to say, but I know I'm going to say things today that a year from now, I'll be like, oh my goodness, Dawn. So part of my, where I'm at, I feel like is in response to, I hope it's not a reaction to, do you know what I mean by the difference? Yeah. I hope it's a response and not a reaction. I don't really know. I, I'm furious with, I'll just say the evangelical church, that's the one I know. And maybe it is that media is capturing the worst parts. That could be true. But I feel like I know it 
well enough to have seen behind the curtain somewhat. And, you know, some of that media attention is warranted. And I'm, I know this is going to sound, I don't know if you went through a period of time, like when you, when I was in my twenties, I went through this time where like, I blamed my parents for everything, right? Everything that was, you know, a flaw in me or a regret that I had, it was their fault, right? And I, you know, had to like work through that whole thing until I could own it. And I kind of wonder if that's where I'm at with church, like shame on you, you know, (laughs) is how I feel. How could you be part of this? You know, how could you set up all these structures that are so harmful to people? I mean, there was a time when the word patriarchy didn't even mean anything to me. And now it's almost all I can, it's like I taste it when I am in that, I'm not ever in that room, but when I'm around folks, you know, who are in it, like in it. (laughs) And I have a radar for all of that, you know, that maybe makes me a little more sensitive to it. And I just felt like I can't be part of this anymore. And this is the silliest thing, but it is how I feel about it. It's not a great explanation. There's certainly holes in all of all of my reasons, right? But you know that scene, you know the story, um, the Polar Express, the scene, the little boy that is literally from like the wrong side of the tracks, right? And he's sitting in the back compartment of the train and they come back to get him and like ask him stuff. I forget the whole thing. But basically they're asking him like why he's he's not, if he's not a believer or he's not into Christmas, whatever it is, right? They're asking him why. And, and he just says, he just looks at them and says, Christmas doesn't work out for me. Christmas just doesn't work out for me. And that is how I feel. Church just does not work out for me. I have listened online, you know, a few times. At one point I did like a Facebook live thing and someone who I haven't spoken to, not that I'm not speaking to, but like I haven't seen in years, did that like wave thing to me, you know, and I was mortified. <laughs> like here I am thinking that I'm like anonymous sitting in this like Facebook live Sunday morning thing. So I've done a few of those and inside I'm just, I'm cringing. I am, I feel my stomach churning. I feel the it's a familiar feeling of from when I have been sitting in the room at church and I want to, this is arrogant, correct things. You know, I want to say, don't say it like that, right? Um, I'm tired of doing that. I wanted to see what would happen. Like, what if I just live? What if I stop wrestling with all the things that are wrong with this, this structure, this institution, and I just live? And that's what I've been doing. So there, that's the nutshell. Well, not a nutshell, but that's the best I can do, I think. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> and like I said to you ages ago, like, I know there's a lot of baggage around. I know for me, like when people have left my particular church family, it's been sad for me because some of my favorite people over the years leave usually for other churches or sometimes just because they're done. Mm -hmm. And that makes me sad just because I miss them. And I think there's also just church baggage around that, right? Mm -hmm. But I said to you um, several months ago, and I'll just say it again, that I completely trust God for the journey that you're on. And even Dallas Willard in that, remember that audiobook thing that I just kept listening to? I can't remember the name of it. Mm. Mm. But anyway, he said in that, and I remember gasping when I heard it, you know, if it's, if God, if you're not hearing the voice of God in that expression, in that experience, some people just need to step away. Yeah. I was like, oh, oh yeah. my gosh. 
I and remember so that too. I completely trust that season uh, for a lot of reasons. Yep. So I just want to say that. Um, Thanks. And I think, you know, I have this advantage that I came to faith later. Mm-hmm. So I already kind of came to it with so much skepticism and so much like, oh, well, I like this part. And this part is meaningful to me, but that part, like, I don't know. And so I got to go through all that, like, as I decided if I even wanted to be a Jesus follower. Right. And it's such I'm a gift. I'm jealous of that, by it's the way. It's such a gift. <laughs> and I think about my kids and, you know, I think our particular church family and our life and our moment in time, it's been really great for our family. I think otherwise to leave my kids, especially with COVID and the isolation and just to have the only container that they're growing up with. This is where I think Richard Rohr's book is so interesting. Like he talks about start that that most people thrive more. They can get to that mature, shining, he, yeah. a true elder if they're, they have a, a firm container for the early part of life right. with rules and right and wrong and structure and then later you throw it out he even gives the example of the ten commandments (laughs) that you know you you must honor your mother and father that's a first half of life really important rule but then jesus says you have to hate your mother and father if you're truly going to follow me and that's a second half of life command i don't know if it's a command when jesus says that but that is so exciting to me. And then I think, okay, because I do worry sometimes like that my kids are going to have some of the scars that you have. Mm-hmm. And I try to mitigate it by having conversations. Mm-hmm. I, I often wonder if my children were young, like yours, would I still be in church? I don't know the answer. I think it's more likely yes. And then I also recall very often asking myself when my kids were younger and in church, like you said, you use the word mitigate. I felt like I was doing that all the time. And I was the, you know, like you say, the director of family ministry. Like I was, you know, lesson planning and and curriculum purchasing and all of that and knowing what they were going to hear on Sunday and being like, okay, well, Jesus doesn't actually live in your heart. (laughs) You know, like I'd be saying those things at home and, and trying to make the edges fuzzier and make the ideas bigger and broader and bringing the mystery into it. Yes. And certainly I worked, you know, to do that also on a Sunday morning. But like you say, it's a contained container. (laughs) And I remember thinking like, (laughs) I think I might have asked the pastor one time, do they just have to like, as kids, do they just have to learn it all first before they can like change it? You know, And, and he was all in favor of that. You know, like, yeah, they need to know. You have to learn. He basically said, you have to learn to read and write before you can do do the big things. Yeah. And so I, I sort of leaned in on that idea. It gave me comfort. So I don't know, because you can't live two lives, you know, so you only know the way you, you had it, you know, and, and this, is where, this is where we are. Maybe you're giving them the best of both worlds because they well, did have the that goal, container. Right? And that's now the they goal. have no pressure from you to yeah. do anything. And so now they can freely choose what they want and there's no right. judgment from you. No. I mean, I hope not. Like, it'll time will tell what they actually choose. You know what I mean? Like, you never really know <laughs> how far your kids are going to push you until they do it. And you're like, oh, my God, I never thought we would be figuring this one out. <laughs> so I, I wonder, you know, we'll, we'll see. I have a question for you. Okay, go ahead. So 
do you still, even though you've stepped away from the sort of structure of church, do you mm-hmm. still consider yourself a Christ follower? Or also, like I had these other phrases that might be more juicy. Do you still experience yourself as connected to the larger kingdom of God? So I probably wouldn't use the word kingdom, the phrase kingdom of God anymore. In fact, I haven't. Like, you know, when I read your question, I was like, hmm, that's what's weird about being where I am in my life is that phrases that would have rolled off my tongue now are somewhat jarring to me when I realize like, wow, I haven't thought about that in a while like that, you know? It's funny because I thought that one would be more universal than Christ follower. <laughs> I kind of figured, yeah. Because it and, is to me. Right. And so I probably... Because it's more metaphorical to me than a Christ follower. Right. I mean, I probably will always consider myself a Christ follower. That I, It has changed. Um, so you, you did, I think, say like, do I consider myself in Christ? Or there was some, some part of the question like that. And, you know... Um, we talked about the universal Christ, like Richard Rohr's book. And I've read that book probably three times now. So it probably would describe more of where I'm at. And, and these are the words that I use with my kids. We do say the universe now more often than God. We do say what would love do. So those I consider like universal Christ kind of concepts, you know, to um, take something that maybe would have been more specific and bring it out into a more universal type of, you know, language. But we do still say like, well, what would Jesus say about that? I still have a lot of questions about like, do I actually understand what Jesus would do? Do you have any questions for me? I do. Yeah. I wrote them down somewhere. Yeah. Okay. How does your awareness of the harm done by the church historically and in the present affect your commitment and love for the church? Or what do you still find beautiful about it? And what do you do about the ugly stuff? I think this is such a great question. It's really hard. And just like you said a minute ago, there are times when I ask myself, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. Because I feel that I, I can think of a moment recently where I was in a meeting And I felt that feeling of how can I communicate with them? It feels like I'm speaking a different language. And I know they think they want me in the room, but then I think maybe they don't really want me in the room if they knew the thing I'm trying to tell them Mm -hmm. or the thing I'm trying to open up. But then I really do like this, this moment in this meeting, and this has happened to me several times in the same conference room, because that's where I seem to feel the most it feels the most stark to me, mm-hmm. like the what are you doing here feeling? Because mm-hmm. it's not just like in the church in that big way, but it's in this meeting. And I just really feel that still small voice saying, they need you. And mm-hmm. I know that sounds really arrogant, but I hear it, they need you, they mm-hmm. need you. I'm going to trust that, that on some level, they need me. Mm-hmm. So my, my, as I thought about this question, mm-hmm. um, I did kind of think of it in terms of my personal reasons, which I already talked about a lot just in our introduction. Mm-hmm. But also, I do feel like over history, in the end, the church has done more good than harm. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I can really defend that like a historian or anything, although I have read a lot about that. That has convinced me of that. Mm-hmm. Like worldwide violence, physical violence is way down. And I don't just mean in our century. It's like from the tribal times up until now, like it Mm -hmm. it has become, life has become much safer 
even just having enough peace in a community that people can develop their intellect, which is God-given, that to be able to create things like medical interventions, like surgeries to save lives, all of that stuff, like that cannot be developed if you don't have a community that has certain structures mm -hmm. so that people have energy and space and calories to develop their intellect and some of those other things that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's all related, sort of like Phyllis Tickle's thing, mm -hmm. that we're in an upheaval now. Mm -hmm. And I think that's some of the tension that we're feeling where we see the church like so divided. So I just think like, if you look at the whole arc of time, sort of like the Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. you know, that it does arc toward good. Mm -hmm. And that church is a big part of that. Not just church, but other ancient faith traditions. Mm -hmm. And so sort of in the big arc of history, even though we might be in a, in a moment of time, especially in our culture, or a lot of that harm is being exposed, especially like if you just think about the Catholic, you know, sexual abuse scandal, like that's something that was happening that wasn't brought to awareness. And now it has been brought to awareness. So we're feeling it and dealing with it. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's that part of it. Again, like the philistical thing, like we're groaning and growing like in, in toward progress that this moment where the, these deep flaws in the church, because it's run and held together by humans are very visible right now. Mm -hmm. And they're creaking like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's sort of a darkly exciting time. But I do feel like I think about Phyllis Tickle and that sense of, oh, we're in it. Like, this is the mm -hmm. thing. It's breaking apart and it's going to be something new. Mm -hmm. And I want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. That leads into my personal, one of the personal reasons is because I grew up in a secular setting, a lot of the adults in my life were just kind of on autopilot, kind of coasting, kind of not questioning. They didn't have an apparatus for challenging themselves, uh -huh. just coasting. Life wasn't always easy, wasn't, wasn't that hard, comfortable enough, didn't care to wake up. Mm -hmm. I feel it in my own life too as a parent. You know, you kind of get behind a little and you feel like the cart is leading the horse. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to have a life like that where I just coast along because I'm you know, in my moment of time. And so I have these values and these ideas and I don't question anything. You know, I want to be in the thick of it. Mm -hmm. And for me, life in the church gives me that. I still feel, and this is something I'm just thankful for that's just a gift, and I don't know what else to say about it, is I still feel joy when I walk in the room. Mm -hmm. I feel joy. I love the music. I love to be a part of the music. Sometimes the music, actually many times the music ministers to me more than like the sermon or whatever, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. although I find both to be great for me mm -hmm. in terms of challenging me and digging deep, even if it's that I don't like the way the pastor said something. Mm -hmm. And then I question like that, mm -hmm. like my response to it. And that's good for me. I feel like it keeps me alive. It keeps me smart in a certain way. Like I just think, especially as mm -hmm. a mom, it's easy to just get like a little, yeah, I guess just foggy. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I hate that. <laughs> yeah. I just, I'm so thankful because I know it's just a gift. I can't explain it. Mm -hmm. Like, why do I feel joy when I walk in the room and another person just feels like nothing or, or worse? Dread. Or, or, <laughs> or, or they might feel even, um, like they're checking the box as you, sure. yeah. you know, that this, this is what I do. This is what I should do. And so here I am. And I have, I have friends that have that vibe at church and yeah. 
uh, again, I don't know if it's partly because of just my personality or because, again, I chose it. Like, I chose it against all odds mm-hmm. to be part of a church family and to be a Christ follower. Mm-hmm. And so that's my long answer to that. <laughs> well, thank you. So do you think you will ever want to be part of a church community again? And if so, what would you wish that that church community would look like? Mm. The easy answer is I don't know. I was talking about this with a friend earlier this summer, and she's just gone through her second divorce. And, but I think it was her that said, you know, like what I was describing about how I felt about church. She's like, that's exactly how I feel about marriage. I was describing how I had gone through like being brought up in church and kind of left that idea and moved away from my familial home, you know, that was kind of governed by that church and went to my own church of my choosing and then got into leadership in that church and then left that church to start this new thing that I thought was going to be different and that was going to mix it up, um, be unafraid, not be concerned about numbers, butts in the seats, not look to buy a building and build an empire. And I felt like putting, it was like baking a cake and we're putting all these ingredients in that I thought were different. And then I realized like out popped the same exact cake. (laughs) Like it is still a vanilla cake and just feeling disillusioned is the right word. And I know when I'm saying these things, I, I guess I just want to say, I'm trying to be honest. I also know that my honesty is offensive to some people and it will be hurtful to some people. So like I'm talking about, you know, particular churches, which involve particular people and their particular visions. And so it's hard to say the truth about, like for me to say that's an empire I know is hurtful, right? And, and the people who are pursuing that vision don't see it that way at all. And yet that's all I can see. So that's a hard place to be, right? You know, like these are people I love. And yet we're in that weird, like, are we friends? Are we not friends? You know, they'll text me like, I w- and, and <laughs> I'm going to ramble now. But like, I know how it feels to be in church and have people leave. I also know what goes through your mind about the people who leave, depending on your relationship with them, depending on how it all went down at the end. There are things that get attached to those people like, oh, well, that's the reason. And I don't often remember having any type of self-reflection about them leaving. It was more, what was their problem, right? And so I've had the text of like, hey, I was thinking about you, wondering if you'd like to get coffee sometime and talk, right? I know because I'm projecting what I think is behind that text, which is like, you're lost. You can't find your way. I can show you the light. I can minister to you because you obviously need ministering to. (laughs) And so all that's going through my head and I'm like, oh, geez, like, what do I say? And I am typically, because of my introvertedness, not one to be like, yeah, that'd be great. You know, like, I'm always sort of like, ah, do I do this? Do I not? You know, whatever. And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. And I, and I said to my husband, 
You watch. I'm going to send this text. Sure, I'm free. Just tell me when. Like, I'm not going to hear another word. And I didn't. That makes me angry. Hurts my feelings. But it is not surprising. And it sounds like I'm saying that in judgment. But I want to say I could have and maybe did do the exact same thing to other people who left. Like, I understand how that feels to be rejected because they left. Like, to have, like, I'm doing my best, I'm working my hardest, I'm trying to make this, like, work for you, and you are walking out the door. I understand how that feels. And I know I'm doing that to people. And I'm sorry for that, but I can't change it. I can't, I don't have the energy to keep pushing back and being that person in the meeting. (laughs) I did that for a long time. Like I said, the cake came out the same, you know. And I just think like maybe I just, me personally, I just need to not be part of this anymore. I need this to not be churning and going on in my life all the time. And this is what my friend, back to that story, this is what she said about marriage. She's like, I think I'm just not cut out for it. You know, like the people I married, they're people. They're, you know, they have their flaws, of course. But, you know, like I brought myself to it too. You know, and I brought myself to the making of that vanilla cake. And so I'm back to the like, it just doesn't work out for me. So that's like the complex kind of layered answer. I don't even know if that makes any sense, really. Yeah, it does. And yet it feels like a divorce. It does. I'm trying not to be snarky and, you know, like (laughs) I told my husband, I'm like, I want to be able to just drive by a church billboard and not want to throw eggs at it. You know, like not want to be like, oh my God, (laughs) like whatever is on there you know like I just don't want to have that feeling in my stomach of like oh it's so critical and judgmental and you know like and so I've I've paid attention to the ones that catch my eye and I'm like you know they're not evangelical churches for one thing so if I do go back it won't be an evangelical church but like some of the billboards that I drove by one of them said you know even Mary had a choice I was like oh thank you (laughs) You know, in light of Roe v. Wade. And then another one was like, my favorite season is fall of the patriarchy. (laughs) So that one just made me laugh. But, you know, those are uh, UCC churches, congregational churches. I've never been part of those. I I don't know what to expect with that. And I don't have a longing for it. And what would I wish for it to be? I feel like I spent so much time thinking about that question and thinking I was trying to create that within the container, there's always going to be a container, right? I mean, there's, there's always limits, right? You're always going to have a budget. You're always going to have, you know, constraints. So I don't have that working in me anymore of like, what is the next iteration of church? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of there. So we were part of a UCC church for many years. Mm -hmm. So I have that experience, which I'm really thankful for. And I think I could go back to a UCC church. And our reasons for changing were, it felt kind of dead to us. Mm -hmm. And again, I know that can be, that sounds really mean and all that. It just felt like there wasn't a lot of vitality. Mm -hmm. It was 
everyone was there checking the box and it was pleasant, uh-huh. but it didn't feel like anybody was looking to really change. There was no kind of transformational vibe. It wasn't the right fit at the time. It was for a while. Mm-hmm. I thought I would... Talk about the book? Yeah. All right. So I'm going to talk about some... Oh, well, I'll read this section because I felt like just personally, like, I could relate to it a lot. Okay. Where so I'll, the, I'm on page 27. Okay. The first half of life container, nevertheless, is constructed through impulse controls, traditions, group symbols, family loyalties, basic respect for authority, civil and church laws, and a sense of the goodness, value, and special importance of your country, ethnicity, and religion, as, for example, the Jews' sense of their chosenness. To quote Archimedes once again, you must have both a lever and a place to stand before you can move the world. The educated and sophisticated Western person today has many levers, but almost no solid place on which to stand. With either very weak identities or terribly overstated identities. This tells me we are not doing the first half of life task very well. How can we possibly get to the second? Most people are trying to build the platform of, the, of their lives all by themselves while working all the new levers at the same time. And I just felt like that was my experience because I wasn't raised with any platform. Hmm. And so trying to figure out how to do this thing, there was nowhere to start from. There was no solid ground. And when we first, way back when, when we did first start going to the UCC church, I'd said to Scott, like, I just need some kind of authority in my life. I feel like every time I'm faced with a question or, a, you know, a dilemma or a choice, mm-hmm. I'm just relying on myself and kind of what I'm feeling at the moment. Mm. And at the time, like, that's really, it's not enough. At least it really felt like not enough at that age mm-hmm. that um, you need connection, at least to the elders in your community. And then he does have some really interesting and beautiful things to say about the importance of elders Mm -hmm. and how in our culture right now, we're not like developing a lot of elders because so many people never get to that second half of life in terms of the spirituality part of life. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, I'm going, yes. And how he was saying how sad it is when you see an older person that is still so egocentric and narcissistic, which is what our culture is producing. Sure. And it was both something that I was like, yes, yes, I see that. And also um, recognizing that that's what I longed for, you know, as a young person wanting to have some of that authority, even if it wasn't in the structure of a church. Like to me, I looked around and I said, well, this is the faith tradition of the community that this of that I'm in. Christianity might be the way to go was sort of it was that simple. (laughs) And we started looking for a church. But I just, I thought that was really interesting. Um, Law and tradition seem to be necessary in any spiritual system, both to reveal and to limit our basic egocentricity and to make at least some community, family, and marriage possible. People who have not been tutored by some limit situations in the first half of their life are in no position to parent children. They usually are children themselves. And I really feel like that would have been me and maybe is on some days, <laughs> but, you know, like my only hope of raising successful humans was I wasn't raised with containers like this. So it was to try to figure out how to do that for my kids. I don't know if you have any sections. I know you haven't 
There was so a lot in this part, the first half of life, like he's talking about, he's describing, I found it uncomfortable, kind of aggravating me. I mean, I have some things underlined. So at the top of page 37, I wrote, I hate the quote attitude behind this whole section. (laughs) So I kind of think like based on what you and I have said already, like you coming from a background of not having that platform if that's what you want to call it um I think platform is a very nice word for what it is because to me it feels like um moral judgment (laughs) and I love Richard Rohr I really do so it's not even I don't even know if it's a critique I don't even think it has that it just for me reading through it having lived some of that it made me think um where to move forward in life, he might even say it in here at some point, you have to transcend and include. Yeah, he does say it in there. Okay. So I am certainly not there because I feel like so much of what I had drilled into me at a young age, I've had to like purposefully exclude from raising my own children. It seemed harmful to me. It seemed like a trap to me. Like it just seemed like a dead end harmful way of thinking and living it also had some good in it and I'm I'm still like mining that you know like trying to to unearth that and dig that out I know it's there you know otherwise I'd be a despicable human being right I don't think I'm a despicable human being so it did good in my life too I mean I have to acknowledge that but I'm not feeling that I'm not there yet I want to reject everything I want to, and maybe it's a tantrum, maybe it's midlife crisis. I don't know. Well, so much Being of midlife what he says at this in this book in the... is that it takes, like, it often takes a break like that to get to the real spiritual maturity. Yeah. That's sort of what he, I, I think he's criticizing the church just as much as for being immature. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I get that. It just kind of feels like it's just a feeling. So I, I kind of yeah. felt like rankled, like reading through that mm-hmm. part. I love, This is a, a bit that is a little bit more of his critique of religion right now mm-hmm. on page 98. It is religion's job to teach us and guide us on this discovery of our true self. But it usually makes the mistake of turning this into a worthiness contest of some sort, a private performance or some kind of religious achievement on our part through our belonging to the right group, practicing the right rituals, or believing the right things. These are just tugboats to get you away from the shore and out into the right sea. They are the oars to get you working and engaged with the mystery. But never confuse these instruments with your profound ability to share in divine nature itself. It is the common, and in this case, tragic confusion of the medium with the message, or the style with the substance. Hmm. And that's one of the things, like for me that I relate to in terms of practicing like humility or the countercultural, it should be countercultural. It's subversive of the hierarchy. It should be subverting mm-hmm. the power structures and the insatiable lust for power that human beings have, you know, mm-hmm. that's what it should be doing. And so for me in my life being raised to like, you've got to achieve, you've got to make something of yourself. Mm-hmm. What would success, that kind of pressure that was, I felt so intensely as a young person and no spiritual worthiness message to underpin that. Mm-hmm. And so just the 
the practice of living my life for an audience of one mm-hmm. is so life-giving to me. Mm-hmm. That paragraph just reminded me of that. I mean, it might seem like a leap. The practice of humility in a culture that doesn't teach it or value it, mm-hmm. that whole thing about going down the ladder, yeah, making yourself less, surrendering, surrendering whatever success, surrendering the superiority, you know, that our culture kind of teaches us to be that hierarchy that is just built into at least, I don't know, like every culture I've ever studied, you know, that is it, is that just part of human nature is to have that I've got to be above you and you're above them and Mm -hmm. that constant labeling and putting people in their place Mm -hmm. and to be able to surrender that, surrender our place. Like that's what it gives me, Mm -hmm. those practices and reminders Mm -hmm. that that paragraph reminds me of. Oh, should we talk about the loyal soldier? Sure. So what did you make of this? What did you, what was your experience of the loyal? Did you like this section or was it also annoying? I thought it was brilliant, actually, the, what do you call it, the ritual that was created by the Japanese after World War II. Let's see, it's on page 43-44. Post-World War II Japan demonstrates how people could be helped to move from the identity of the first half of life to the growth of the second half. In this situation, some Japanese communities had the savvy to understand that many of their returning soldiers were not fit or prepared to re-enter civil or humane society. That's page 43. Their only identity for their formative years had been to be a, quote, loyal soldier to their country. They needed a broader identity to once again rejoin their communities as useful citizens. So these Japanese communities created a communal ritual whereby a soldier was publicly thanked and praised effusively for his service to the people. After this was done at great length, an elder would stand and announce with authority something to this effect. The war is now over. The community needs you to let go of what has served you and served us well up to now. The community needs you to return as a man, a citizen, and something beyond a soldier. And I wrote next to that, this is like motherhood. (laughs) Where you become a loyal soul, like you just are doing the thing all the time. And it it shapes you into a certain type of person or, you know, like a person that you didn't know you necessarily were. And you need to be called out of it sometimes, I think. And like you said, you know, shake me, like wake me up that this is not all I am. Not that motherhood isn't beautiful and valuable and all of that. And there are moments in it where you feel that. Most of the time you don't, I think, or a lot of the time you don't. It feels mundane. It feels hard. It feels unseen. You know, we've talked about that. And you need someone to remind you of who you are. So I think this is a ritual that would be so helpful for, you know, in so many ways. (laughs) I had fun thinking about what my loyal soldier says to me. So Uh he says... He says the voice of the loyal soldier can be so loud that we can't hear the voice of God or Mm -hmm. like the voice of our true self, if you will. Yeah. And it says on the bottom of 45, so just a little bit beyond where you were, the voice of our loyal soldier gets us through the first half of life safely, teaching us to look both ways, to have enough impulse control to avoid addictions and compulsive emotions, to learn the sacred no to ourselves that gives us dignity, identity, direction, significance, and boundaries. We must learn these lessons to get off to a good start. 
Without a loyal soldier protecting us to age 30, the world's prisons and psych wards would be even more overcrowded than they are. <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> um, without our loyal soldier, we would all be aimless and shapeless with no home base, no sustained relationships, because there would be no me at home to have a relationship with. Lots of levers, but no place to stand. Paradoxically, your loyal soldier gives you so much security and validation that you may confuse his voice with the very voice of God. I found that really intriguing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I struggle with that a bit. Or that, not that I get it confused with the voice of God, but that I can't hear the voice of God. Mm. And then I loved his description so the loyal soldier is the voice of all your early authority figures. His or her ability to offer shame, guilt, warnings, boundaries, and self-doubt is the gift that never stops yeah. giving. Uh-huh. So what were yours? The, oh, did uh, you want to keep going? Oh, I just wanted to read this on 48. There's a deeper voice of God, which you must learn to hear and obey in the second half of life. Mm -hmm. It will sound an awful lot like the voices of risk, mm -hmm. of trust, of surrender, of soul, of common sense, of destiny, love, and of an intimate stranger, of your deepest self. Yeah, I I found that, that helpful to say, oh my gosh, because I do hear the voice of risk, and I think it's arrogance. Meaning what? Well, sometimes I think I should say something or push back on something in a variety of circumstances. Oh, you interpret it as arrogance. Yeah, like when I, I hear the mm -hmm. voice of risk in my own soul, mm -hmm. like you should say that. You should do it. You can articulate that. You should push back on this. Yep. And I'm like, how arrogant? Like, no, mm -hmm. that's how do you think so much of yourself? Like it feels mm -hmm. like arrogance. So I edit. Yeah. And even, and then risk isn't always that kind of negative thing, but the risk of a new venture, like putting yourself out there for something. Mm -hmm. um, that when that when the voice tells you that, like, maybe that's good. I don't know. Mm -hmm. but, so I did put, for me, the loyal soldier says, don't make trouble, avoid conflict, defer to others. Being beautiful and kind are the way to power and happiness. Mm. Don't be lazy. Be a hard worker. Be productive. Do something important and meaningful with your life. Mm. And so those voices... Did those pop right up for you? Yeah. I mean, I thought about it for a minute and I was uh -huh. like, ooh, ooh, ooh. So they just came right to you. Yeah. I think partly because of my sort of career choice, if you can call it that, but, you know, that I took a huge risk as a young person to say, I want to be a professional theater artist. And so to see that not turn out sort of the way I had hoped or the way that I had envisioned at one point mm -hmm. or to still have now I have like these pretty substantial skill set and I often feel like it's wasted and not just a skill set but a real I do feel like I was designed to do this like it's a really good fit it's mm -hmm. a really good fit for me mm -hmm. I feel skilled I feel gifted and I don't get to use it Mm -hmm. The way that I sort of had always thought I would to do something, let's see, important and meaningful. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so because of that, because of that choice, you know, the idea that nothing is wasted in God's economy, mm -hmm. that he sees everything, that those things are really, they buoy me up. Mm -hmm. You know, I do like this is getting a little grim, but at one point someone early on, like this was when I first became a Christian. So going to the UCC church and I think it was the minister had asked me why, 
or or what did I, I it was after I'd been baptized, but it was something along those lines. And I, I said, I wouldn't, I don't think I'd be alive anymore. That's how much pressure I felt as a young person and how aimless. You don't think that, you'd be alive anymore if what? If I hadn't started following Jesus. Okay. I really don't think so. I was so, I believed that lie so loudly that if you don't do something meaningful and important and you don't succeed in this certain way, you are a waste on the planet. You're a waste. Mm -hmm. And that that crushing pressure to -hmm. do something important enough to impress other people. I was going to say it all kind of hinges on what you define as important and meaningful. Right. How you define those two things. Right. So important and meaningful meant successful and getting other people's attention or yeah being uh impressing other people impressing other people yeah that that you should be that what it you should be impressive that was how i judged myself mm-hmm. so that if i wasn't impressing people then, then it wasn't then what i was meaningful. doing was not important or meaningful mm-hmm. right and that trap and i felt that pressure <laughs> so intensely um that i remember like getting on the airplane one time going home to visit my family and just being like i hope it crashes i really do Uh-oh. you know just Uh-oh. i just can't stand this like that that I'm not making anything of myself. And the thing that's so sad is like now that I'm an adult and I can look back, like I was on the dean's list, you know, not that that is important or meaningful. Clearly it wasn't to me at the time, uh-huh. but that even in the world's eyes, I was doing all right, yeah. but I couldn't, I was so wrapped up in that, that lie. Like it just really feels like looking back, like just deceiving voice, this voice of the uh-huh. deceiver, you know, not to get too dark, but that, yeah, that, that has taken so much effort, so much effort in my life to overcome that, mm-hmm. that voice of that feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad you did. That is heavy. I had to think about mine for a bit. The image that came to my mind, there's this scene in um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, where she's She's working as the telephone operator, you know, in the department store basement. And in the the break room, there are all these like posters on the wall. And of course, all of the people working the switchboard are female, right? And all these posters say things like, and it shows like the picture of like the perfect woman, you know, like demure and, you know, well put together and like cool, calm and collected. And it says like underneath each one, like be punctual be courteous or I don't and I wish I could remember the exact words because when I it just she's walking by she might point to them it might be part of the scene or it's just a prop in the background you know I don't I can't remember but they stuck out like a beacon like I rewound to to look at them but they were you've said this to me before about like the things that I wrap up as like a moral of the church and patriarchy Like patriarchy wasn't just in the church, you know, like it's cultural, you know, so you picked up some of those messages like you're describing without the church involved, you know, and so I'm laying the blame all at the feet of the church when these things were in just our society as a whole kind of thing. And that's what it made me think of. But that's one of my first loyal soldiers. I just picture like one of those posters, right? Always be respectful. Do not voice your doubt or, you know, disagree in anything. Always use a small inside voice. Men are more important. Defer to them. Be smart. Stay in control. Don't be too emotional or no one will take you seriously. And then kind of my more churchy ones, like 
there is one right answer. It is biblical. It's God's will. You must find it and obey it or all is lost. And then my last one was like something about like the purpose of your life is to give yourself away. Like you don't really own anything. You must share everything you have. And those are so really deep in me. And I do love sharing things and giving things away. I do it all the time, right? It's a, it is a joy and a pleasure for me. So like some of these, they have that like quality of, of light on one side and dark on the other. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they're beneficial to your life, but they're also a trap. And this is one of them, you know, where I feel like what you said about like be do something important and meaningful in my life, important and meaningful meant you do it for other people. It is never about you. You, you are not on a stage. You are not front and center. I, I don't know how to put it, but like, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It is about other people. And so giving things away almost like, like they were never yours, which is not healthy. Exactly. You know, like I wouldn't teach my own children that like, and yet I do teach them to share. And sometimes when they don't, I'm appalled, you know, I'm like, how could you not let your sister wear that? And because it's mine and I paid for it and I, you know, like whatever. And, and I respect that, but it's still, I, at times I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, like who raised you? You know, because <laughs> that, that was not okay in my house. Definitely not okay. So just to fall back on what he said about you hear these voices and it's hard to hear the voice of God. And when you push against some of these voices, it feels wrong. It feels risky. It feels like you are stepping off the path when in fact you're stepping onto a path. And the part that you already read, I, I had underlined like there is a deeper voice of God, you know, and it sounds a lot like risk, trust, surrender, soul, common sense, destiny, love, an intimate stranger, your deepest self. You have to be able to, in order to hear that and follow that, you have to be able to turn off the, the little panic button that's, you know, being hit when you are straying from what the inner soldier is telling you to do. That's a battle. That's tough. Yep. Um, yep. So I love this question. A common perception of the church, that one? Uh, no, I was thinking, how can the church shed its elder brother? Yeah. Is that the same one? Yeah. yeah a, judgment. Com a common perception yeah. of the church is that its judgment speaks much louder than its love. Can the church ever shed its elder brotherness and how? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I feel like this is some of the things that we have been talking about for years. Yes. And like you said, with the cake, like trying yep. to do it differently and it pops out the same. Yep. I think there's some of that in my experience as well. Mm -hmm. And I still have hope. You know, I still like have fantasies about different kinds of church expressions and experiments with that. And yeah. even if it's not church, like, like yeah. this, mm -hmm. this is the conversation. This is yeah. the eternal kind of tension. And mm -hmm. um, we're free here because this isn't a church. So in and this space... Isn't, doesn't that kind of break your heart when you say it? We're free here because this isn't a church. It helps me to hear you say, I have hope. I know you do. Like I can, I can even see it on your face. I can hear it in your voice. And that makes me happy. Like we need that. 
I'm interjecting and yeah. I wanted you to finish your thoughts. So I'm sorry. No, that's right. I, I do have <laughs> yeah. hope mm-hmm. for new expressions. Yeah, and, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the, I do think that is in within the church, there is that tension. Mm-hmm. I think both are in the church as well. Like there's definitely, I think sometimes it can be even ridiculously morose on the other side where everyone's like, oh, I'm a terrible loser. I'm a, such a sinner. And I'll, oh, you know, yeah. like mm-hmm. you, you kind of, there's that overplaying of the prodigal part too (laughs) so it's like yeah no we god loves us where we are you know come as you are all of that that's true Mm -hmm. so i don't know i think we live in that tension but it's also i think every all of these places have their containers their rules and Mm -hmm. this is a uniquely free place like in my family there's a lot of things i don't do or say Mm -hmm. because i'm a mom and i'm a parent and i'm a wife and um, all of these things, I'm careful. Mm-hmm. But same mm-hmm. thing with, you know, a business or a, a creative enterprise. You know, like when I am in a play, I have there are rules, mm-hmm. and you are not free to just do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So I mean that this is really unique, mm-hmm. not just outside of the church, but outside of um, all of these places. Mm-hmm. I see. I get that. I wish it was a little different in the theater sometimes. How should we wrap up here? I don't know. Do you want to recommend some book? Well, I am. I'm just going to say I'm going to I haven't done the reflection questions for the last several episodes just because it's sort of a lot of work and I felt like nobody Mm -hmm. ever looked at them probably. (laughs) (laughs) But for this, I am. okay because I just thought these questions were really interesting and juicy. So I'm going to I am definitely going to do reflection questions for this episode. You could go to our website, uh, giftgirls.blog. And uh, Facebook, what is it, Gift Girls? I don't know what it is on Facebook anymore. It's been so long. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, the website is uh, definitely a great resource because it will have all the questions. It'll have, of course, previous episodes and yep. all of that. Do you have any way you want to end this? I don't really. It's funny. When I was, like I said, I was listening back to some of the older episodes and you know, thinking about like all the things like, oh my gosh, I laugh so much on these. Like I sound like a giggling idiot. <laughs> and then typically like Tanya usually asks me to pray at the end. I'm like, and I haven't prayed out loud in a long time. So I don't know. I think maybe you should pray this time. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Mother, father, creator, God, Thank you for this time where Don and I could be free to talk about these things. We thank you for this space in this tiny community. Amen. Amen.